One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fight with all his might, providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is 10 o'clock, of course, and we'll be here with you for the next three hours, warmed up properly by Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, here with me now every single day from 9.30. Uh, we'll tell you all the stories you need to know about. And on this show, we'll take your views, of course, and we'll also uh, talk to a bunch of other guests, many of whom uh, have got great things to say. Ben Habib kicks us off this morning, a former MEP, of course. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the migration problem in this country uh, because it now would appear that even the Tory party internally has worked out that if Rishi Sunak doesn't do something and reduce the number of migrants either coming to this country uh, or indeed uh, stop them coming, uh, he will lose the election hands down. There will be no turning back. Uh, do not pass go. Do not collect £200 or even €200. Euros. We'll touch on what's going on uh, in France. Things seem to be a bit calmer overnight. But an awful lot of people looking at those riots in France wondering uh, if that will be something that then happens here. And there's an awful lot of people very nervous about all of that. Uh, we'll also talk, of course, about the banking crisis. How many people have had banking uh, taken away from them as a result of something they've either said or something that they have been thought to believe. Uh, Nigel Farage kicks it all off, of course. Uh, it now has spread to Dominic Lawson. He says his daughter uh, has had a bank account taken away. There was a vicar over the weekend who's had his taken away. Richard Tice talks about it on Sunday. Uh, of course, he's had problems with the Reform Party accounts. It really is quite remarkable that these banks seem to think that they can do whatever the hell they like. Uh, have they forgotten, by the way, some of them, uh, that they were bailed out by the taxpayer? which I think is a fairly significant point to make, because if they think they are unilaterally able to make decisions based upon what their beliefs are and what they think their politics are and what they think the politics of their customers are, then I'm afraid uh, they are completely and utterly mistaken, completely and utterly wrong, and we should be taking them to task. We'll talk about the cricket as well, uh, the cheating Australians. We'll also talk about a poll in the Daily Mail this morning in which it says that basically one in four people back the government's plan to get rid of petrol and diesel cars by 2030. That means 75% of people do not want it to happen. Will not buy an electric car, they're too expensive, can't use them because there's nowhere to charge it where they live and have no faith whatsoever uh, in the net zero green agenda. Quite frankly, I'm not surprised. 0344 499 1000. We might even talk a bit about this boil in a bag funeral plan, which sounds a bit mad to me. You're supposed to put a body inside a big sack full of water. Doesn't sound very hygienic, does it? I'm not sure about that. We'll come back to that. 0344 499 1000. You know what to do. You call us. We give your opinion out to the rest of the nation. And then the government finds out and maybe they change their policies. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Oh, 
A very good morning and welcome to the first day of the week. It's Monday, of course. Uh, we are now in July, very firmly. It doesn't look particularly summery out there, but for those of you who don't like the extreme heat, then perhaps that's not so bad. Matt Ridley uh, has also put out a piece of information this morning on Twitter in which he has attested that basically um, the Met Office, the people who have been counting the numbers on the uh, various different forms of global warming over the course of years, have been fiddling the figures. Well, imagine that. Just imagine that. Um, I think none of you will be surprised to know that they've been making out that it was a lot colder in the past and it's now a lot warmer than it actually is. Hmm. There we are. Also, there's warnings of summer travel chaos. We'll be checking in with Simon Calder coming up a little bit later on. But let's kick things off, first of all, with Ben Habib, former MEP, of course, because ever since that Rwanda ruling last week, things have gone from bad to worse. We've got more people arriving on our shores, no chance of them even being stopped in any way, shape or form. We've now got uh, TikTok adverts for people to come here uh, being assured, don't worry, uh, the law courts have ruled in your favour. So now when you do come, uh, you're actually not breaking the law according to them. Uh, ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Pleasure so, to be with you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Yes, I mean, um, this migrant debate that you and I have been having for much longer than most people have has now reached sort of critical mass, it seems to me. You've got the Tory party within the Tory party saying unless Rishi Sunak can reduce the numbers by two thirds, he's losing the election. Well, I mean, Rishi Sunak is going to lose the election. I think that's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> And it seems to me the group of MPs in the Conservative Parliamentary Party that are particularly panicking at the new entrants, you know, that came in in 2017 and yeah. 2019, and they are the most vulnerable electorally. So they've picked up the ball and they're running with it. But what what they need to recognise and what they... In fact, every member of the Conservative Parliamentary Party should recognise is that they've got to stop putting party before country. Yeah. There's no way Rishi Sunak is getting a grip of this problem. David Cameron said he would get it down to 10,000 a year. You know, it went up under his watch and Theresa May's watch to about 350,000 net migration. This is, we're talking about legal migration. 350,000 legal migrants every year on a net basis. And now it's just blown every past statistic out of the water at 600 odd thousand this year. Rishi Sunak is not going to get uh, get a hold of this problem. If the new Conservative group genuinely care about the country, what they should do is declare against the Conservative Party, recognise the Conservative Party will not get a grip of this problem, and frankly, leave the party. Something dramatic needs to be done in Westminster before those who govern us understand that they've got to get to grips with this problem. It is a very serious problem. You know, when we talk about net migration of 600,000, Mike, actually, it was something like 1.1 million people came into the country and 552,000 British citizens, young British citizens, bright, upwardly mobile British citizens left the country. So what we took on was 1.1 million foreigners, if you yeah. like, and, and half a million, more than half a million bright, capable people left our country. That's a brain drain on yeah. the United Kingdom. You know, the, 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 the whole thing is getting completely out of control. It really is. And also, what we know is many of those who did come, the 1.2 million, 
probably a majority of them, came on, tour, uh, came on student visas. And when they come on student visas, what we don't know is whether they will be staying in order to enrich the, uh, the environment, enrich the economy by using whatever skills they've learned at our universities or whether they're just going to go home. My understanding is a lot of Chinese people have come to our universities now. An awful lot of people from the Indian subcontinent have come because it turns out we did a trade deal with India. And in exchange for that, we offered loads and loads of visas for work and study. Yeah, and you know we don't have a grip, as you've alluded to, Mike. We don't have a grip on once people are here whether they actually adhere to their visa requirements or not, whether they leave when they're meant to leave. And you know, for me, it's not about the economy. It's not just about the economy. Of course, the economy is very important, but it's also about the social fabric of the country. And you know, without wishing to ring alarm bells, we've seen what happened in France mm. over the last few days. And if you have rampant unbridled immigration and you bring in cultures which uh, don't integrate with British culture, which don't um, assimilate over a period of time, if it happens too rapidly, mm. you import different cultures, many of which may be antipathetic to our values and the way we wish to live our lives. And that is dangerous. Yeah. You know, we are changing the nature of the United Kingdom at a seismic rate. And countries can't cope with that level of change. And we've got to be very careful that we don't damage the inherent goodness of British values, if you like, by taking on lots of different cultures which don't blend, which don't adopt our values, and which seek in many cases, in many cases, seek to damage the country. Yeah, I mean, we'll be going over to France a little bit later on in the show, but some of the footage that I've watched over the course of the weekend quite troubling you know it's always uh, being sort of put drilled into us that there's a, there's a problem with the French police's um, relationship with some of the migrant communities some of the ethnic minority communities in France but it was already beginning to spread to Belgium but an awful lot of these you know uh, rioters seem to be carrying makeshift guns they seem to have quite serious weaponry you know this is not just any old stone throwing riot in Tottenham you know this is almost paramilitary style it is, and it's not, and it's not restricted to any one location. It's right across France, all the way from the, from Marseille, all the way up mm. to Calais. Yeah. You know, France is in real trouble, and of course, police shouldn't, you know, shoot people, shoot anyone, right. frankly, for a traffic indiscretion. But nor should there be this level of response to it. You can't imagine this happening in the United Kingdom mm. at the moment, and I hope and pray that it will never happen in the United Kingdom. And whatever issues I've got with Macron and the French over the way they treated the United Kingdom over Brexit and over the, you know, their failure to get a grip, for example, of the boats coming across from France, no one would wish this on France. No. This is one of the greatest nations in the world. And look at it. It's mm. completely collapsing in on itself. And a large part of this might, you know, people won't like to hear it, but a large part of this is unbridled immigration. Of course it is. And... And the EU is squarely responsible for it. I tweeted about this over the yeah. weekend. You know, the EU believes in pooled sovereignty. What that means is giving power to Brussels and stripping it away from member states. But if that's what you believe in, you wish to diminish the importance of member states, mm. nation identities are lost, you become one big melding pot, which is what the Schengen zone is, which also means, naturally, that immigration runs riot because if you don't care about nation states you don't care about national identities you don't really care about whether people are immigrants or or or, or you know born naturally in the country or whether they're french citizens british citizens or wherever they come yeah. from 
you cease to care about the national identity. Mm. And that is a real problem. You know, we've got to we've got to recognize that whilst we need to remain a welcoming country, a tolerant country, a country that will accept and, um, uh, you know, promote other values that are good values, we can't allow our own country to be undermined as a result of rampant, unbridled immigration where values being imported are not consistent with ours. You know, we've got to be very careful we get this right. And Europe has got this horribly wrong from the beginning, you know, from Angela Merkel's first announcement that anyone from Syria would be welcome to come to Germany, and suddenly every single migrant that fancied coming to Germany declared themselves to be from Syria, ripped up their passport, whether they were from Syria or not, and were allowed in. And suddenly every single country now in Western Europe has the same immigration problem. And who's surprised by that? I, I, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about on this programme before the way that we've dealt with illegal migration to the UK is to do it through deportation, yeah. what the government calls deterrence. But if you're going to use deportation as a form of deterrence, it's got to work. Mm. And none of our deportation schemes, Rwanda included, all the new acts of parliament that have been passed in order to and the new illegal migration bill that's going through parliament, none of it's worked. No. And, and so actually what you've done is undermine the whole thesis of deterrence. If you can't make it work, it ceases to deter and becomes an open invitation. Well, exactly. And as I'm sure you saw, you've seen, Albania is now advertising on TikTok yeah. that the Rwandan scheme doesn't work. Right. And not only does it not work, but actually it's been ruled to be illegal. So therefore you'll never be sent there. So they're now actually running adverts saying, don't worry, come to Britain. They keep saying they're going to send you to Rwanda, but they're not going to do it because the law won't allow them to do it. And meanwhile, uh, in the paper today, we see a story of a guy uh, who happens to be a burglar, a recidivist burglar, a sort of professional burglar um, who's from Albania, who's been deported twice from this country, who's now back again, uh, living high on the hog uh, in a spa hotel in Cornwall uh, in between sort of grifting. You know, because he's having a bit of a holiday. I mean, it's incredible. So what happens? Can you imagine the scene where this guy lands on the, the beaches at Dover and people say, presumably, have you been here before? He goes, no. They go, fine, off you go. And they send him <laughs> off somewhere to carry on burglaring. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I shouldn't laugh. And every time we send <laughs> someone back to Albania, I think we send them back with some cash too, don't we? Yeah, um, yeah, because apparently it's cheaper to pay for them to go back and hand them money and to also pay if they're criminals to go to jail in Albania than it is to keep know. them here. It's incredible. Uh, I mean, this government's getting bit. everything wrong. It's getting it all wrong. And so the, what was meant to be a deterrent has actually been so trash, so degraded, so uh, unfrightening that it's now become a welcome sign over the United Kingdom. Rwanda's yeah. become a joke. You know, Rwanda... Rwanda was never going to work. You and I discussed that a year ago, if yeah. you remember, Mike, when yeah. it was first released. It was too complex, too fraught with legal problems, too expensive. It was never going to work. What we need and what we've repeated, what I've repeatedly said, is you've got to enforce your borders. Border force has to do what it says on the tin, yeah. which is pr to protect our coastal waters, our territorial waters, and prevent people from entering them illegally in the first place. If you do that, you don't have to deport anyone because you just send the boat straight back to France. Yeah. And we have a right, an absolute right in international law to protect our borders. It's an inalienable national right. We just need a government that's willing to implement it. 
Absolutely right. Ben, stay where you are. We've got many more things to talk about, including this banking nonsense, which came into fruition over the course of the last few days. Nigel Farage uh, admitting that he's had his bank account basically taken away from him and he can't get another one, uh, thanks to what would be regarded generally as political beliefs. Incredible stuff. Uh, we're talking to Ben Habib, uh, former MEP, of course. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. More after this. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ian in York says this, Mike, what's going wrong with France and the UK? Indeed, the entire West is the move to the left that has happened even in America and the demonisation of even the moderate right. Architects in this country, Blair Brown and that utter piece of work, the hideous Alistair Campbell, they're championing of wishy-washy woke ethos, which they will crowbar into our legislation if they get into power and will push us all into a socialist authoritarianism. Ian York, I think you're right. Uh, ben, it's been remarkably quick, isn't it, the way that things have sort of changed, even in the last five years. And it's hard to believe that it's happened in a conservative period of government. But it certainly has become a very leftist establishment that we now deal with in this country. There's a great tweet from Matt Ridley this morning. I don't know whether you've seen it about um, climate change and generally uh, the sort of temperatures of this nation. Matt says that, interestingly, the Met Office Science Department, Science Service, has recently been adjusting old temperature records. The adjustments go in both directions before 1970, but the period 1970 to 2003 has been made markedly colder and 2003 to 2022 has been made markedly hotter. And he says, why? Well, I think we all know the answer to that, uh, to make it look as if things are worse than they are, right? Well, if, I mean, if what he's saying is true, that's a very serious allegation. And, you know, a whole host of government policy and, and uh, is being made on the back of that with massive economic implications for the United Kingdom with net zero and this transition that we need to achieve apparently by 2050. I don't know where they got the 2050 figure form or why 2030 is magical for electric cars um, and 2035 is the abolition of the use of petrol cars. You know, these dates are all kind of arbitrary. But if they're all hanging on false information, if Matt Ridley is right, then we are doing huge damage to our economy on the back of a false thesis. And so that must that merits huge further in, you know, investigation. It's terrible. No, I think that's absolutely right, because this morning we see on the front of the Daily Mail, they've done their own study in which only one in four people actually backs the government's move uh, to electric vehicles by 2030. I mean, that's more and more being called now an unrealistic target. We're being told now by, by sort of climate change fanatics that we won't hit the uh, 2030 net zero target. We probably won't even hit the net... Uh, the, the 2050 net zero target. Um, so to which I would say, well, good, you know, because it's not going to do us any good anyway. No. Um, and, 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 and if the petrol car ban was to be brought in in 2030, it would harm the poorest people in this country irreparably. I mean, the big, the big tragedy here, Mike, is that instead of using the North Sea, if you like, to underwrite our net zero, uh, drive to net zero, yeah. by continuing to produce gas and oil locally, so that we made sure we weren't energy deficient as we headed towards net zero, as we adopted new technologies. What we did was the opposite. We shut down our access to fossil fuels mm. in advance of having the renewables capable of dealing with this transition. So what we've done is foist pain on the British taxpayer, foist pain on the average working and middle class person by making it unaffordable to meet these targets that the government's set. 
you know, producing, getting rid of your gas boiler at home and having heat exchanges and getting rid of your petrol car and being fined if you use your own diesel car and so on. Having first, of course, been promoted into diesel cars. And if you, you know, if you take the US as an example, what the US has done is to absolutely go hell for leather for the production of oil and gas locally, yeah. fracking to get as much as they can. They've become a completely independent state as far as fossil fuels are concerned. They're a net exporter of fossil fuels. And then with that strength behind them, they've launched this Inflation Reduction yeah. Act, which is the biggest uh, money spend on net zero in the globe. Right. But they, whether or not you agree with net zero, they've done it, making sure, first of all, that the United States is safe from its energy perspective, that it's yeah. cost effective and it's uh, you know not prone to forces outside its control when it comes to supplying its industry and its people with the energy that yeah. they need to get through life. We've done the opposite. We've stripped our people of the ability to have access to cheap fossil fuels and then foisted a as yet unsuccessful uh, set of renewable energy programs that can't meet our needs. And that's one of the reasons we our inflation rate is stubbornly high. Right. It's because we've turned our back on the North Sea. We've got this all back to front. And if, as you say, Matt Ridley's, you know, if Matt Ridley's uh, findings are true, then it's all been done on a false thesis. And I hope some form of parliamentary committee will hold those yeah. who made these decisions firmly to account. Well, you'd like to think so, because we're now buying gas from America, from North America, which has been fracked but we won't frack our own gas. So it's clearly not an ideological decision. Uh, it's just an idiotic one. And the other thing that America's doing, which I'm rather pleased with that they're doing, is that they're only uh, they're giving tax breaks to people if they buy an electric car, but only if the electric battery is manufactured in the US. In not the if US. It's, not if it's manufactured in China. So that should also put a halt to some of the Chinese encroachment on the economy. But let's move on now to, uh, to the banking story, because obviously that's been something that's hugely upset many people. And it's a very dangerous development, it seems to me. Again, I mean, you're a man that's familiar with the financial world, Ben, and you know how it all works. What is going on with these banks and why have they suddenly become ideological? So I think underlying all of this is something called environmental, social and governance policies that most companies now in this country have to adhere to. Mm. And ESG encompasses within it a drive towards net zero, as well as diversity, inclusivity, and the social agenda about which we've discussed, you know, many times, transgender issues, yeah. all of that. All of that now is being foisted on companies. So in the past, whereas companies merely had to make sure that they were making a profit for their shareholders and their creditors were repaid and employees were well looked after. Now there's another component that companies need to care for, businesses need to care for, and it's ESG. And it's part of this ESG drive that companies are now virtue signaling and banks i think are taking their lead from esg in order to cancel bank accounts of those people that they believe are not consistent in their views on the social yeah. issues that presumably the banks think they've got right and these people have got wrong and that's i think the basis on which the banks are acting but it is completely wrong that the banks are shutting people down on the basis of the views they hold, not because they've done anything illegal, not because they're money laundering or taking bribes or using their bank accounts for nefarious purposes, simply because of the views they hold. 
it's a very dangerous step. And I'm afraid the reaction from Jeremy Hunt, which was to require banks, or it will be to require banks to give proper notice and explanation, is not sufficient. Mm. He needs to ban the activity of closing accounts. There has to be a, a firm regulatory or legal reason to debank someone. You can't just do it because you don't like their views. That is entirely unacceptable. And if ESG, as I suspected is, is the root cause of this problem, then the government also needs to look at the way that it is promoting ESG yes. into the private sector. Yes, I think that's absolutely right, because nobody really knows where it comes from. And if it's a kind of judgment call based upon anybody's individual kind of belief system, then that can't ever be workable because one man's no. meat is another man's poison, as we would say. It, it is. And it's, you know, we've had this debate slightly over the online, har uh, online harm safety bill, you know, where uh, government in its desire to protect people is actually legislating against effectively freedom of speech. Yeah. It's a very fine balance, you know, but people have to be allowed to have the the ability to speak their minds, as long as that isn't inciting violence or inciting, uh, you know, some form of criminal activity, right. you should be allowed to speak your mind freely. Otherwise, you shut down debate. And if you shut down debate, you shut down the ability for countries, for people, communities, countries to progress. It's only through debate and through the division of debate that we can genuinely settle on the kind of values that we wish our yeah. children to have. And if you shut that down, we cease to progress. Yeah. Well, I and mean, what you get is the totalitarian state you referred to earlier on in this programme. Well, exactly right. Because the next thing that happens is, you know, they don't let you into your local supermarket uh, because they didn't like something you put out on Twitter. You know, it's madness. Crazy. It's madness. Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. Anyway, Ben, listen, as ever, great to talk to you. Thank you very much for kicking us off this morning. Ben Habib, former MEP there, with a series of very, very important things to say about migration, uh, about the ridiculous nature of the numbers of people coming into this country, also about uh, being held to account by your own bank. What on earth is that all about? Plus, of course, the net zero arguments. We'll have all of those throughout the course of the morning here. You can have your voice heard as well. 0344 499 1000. Uh, John says this, the persecution of Nigel Farage is not acceptable in a democratic society it must not be tolerated those who refuse them a bank account should be named shamed and sacked well i'm not even sure we should do that because the problem is is that the system seems to be endemically incorrect and wrong and that's what we need to change i think i don't think there's any point sacking people because that's exactly what we're arguing against effectively isn't it oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand we're going over to france coming next adam sage paris correspondent for the times joins us with the latest from what's happening over there the home of Common Sense, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots to do this morning. We've got plenty of time to do it in and we'll be taking loads of your calls, of course, as well. You know the number 0344 499 1000 uh, is that number. And if you call us, uh, we will augment your view. But we'll get it out there uh, to all and sundry. And hopefully, uh, if you've got a good point to make, we'll even pass it on to the powers that be. Right now, uh, all sorts of you want to get in touch about the petrol crisis, about net zero, about the migrants as well coming over uh, from France. But in France right now, they've got their own problems. We've seen over the course of the last few days, lots and lots of footage of burning cars, burning buildings, rioting uh, youth, 
people firing what looked like very, very much handmade kind of um, personally made weapons. But the weaponry really has been quite um, incredible. Some of the stuff that, that I've seen out there. Uh, and of course, parts of the country have appeared to be pretty lawless. We're told that last night things calmed down a little bit. It was all started, of course, after um, the French police shot dead um, a 17 year old boy in a car. Um, because he was uh, being chased by the police. So they finally stopped him. Uh, and after the shooting death of him, um, a person by the name of Nahel, um, he's been um, kind of the focal point of a lot of it. His family said last night they wanted the rights to stop. Um, the boy's grandmother told French TV that her daughter is lost and no longer has a life after Nahel's death. Let's talk to Adam Sage now, the Paris correspondent for The Times, to find out what's going on. Um, Adam, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Is it right to say that it was a bit quieter, generally speaking, last night than it has been? Yes, it was. There were only uh, 352 fires reported by the fire brigade Goodness and something me. like 300 further cars that were set ablaze. Now, that probably sounds like an astonishingly high <laughs> figure seen from Britain, but it's something like 10 times fewer fires than there were last Thursday night. Wow. The figure was 3,880 from memory. So yes, um, things are calming down, but from a, a very, very high level of violence. Yes. And as far as um, I saw a few things yesterday, I don't know whether this has happened, but there was some suggestion that the Department of the Interior might shut down the internet today. I don't know if that was one of those kind of Twitter rumours or something that they were actually considering. I know I, I saw that going around the social media. I don't think that they, they would go that far. I mean, that's the sort of thing that China does. Um, and I don't think that uh, France has got there yet. Um, um, President Macron's ministers summoned um, social media executives to a meeting on Friday, notably TikTok and Snapchat, I think they were really targeting, uh, saying that the, the, the broadcasting of images of the riots, such as the ones you're showing now, which are going around TikTok very, very fast, are encouraging other rioters and should be taken down. Uh, more quickly. Right. I, I don't know whether that was anything more than, than slapping the wrists of the social media executives and anything in practice is going to happen. I mean, it is an incredible kind of time to be alive, if you like, for, for, for those of us who remember what it was like before social media, when you know you had to wait for the six o'clock news to see what it was actually looking like. Whereas now, you see all these video pieces of video going up online. You never really quite know if they're authentic. You never really quite know if they are what they say they are. But they're all there. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's fair to say that every teenager um, in a council estate in a, in a suburb uh, in France now wants to get on TikTok um, uh, with a firework in mm. his hand being shot at a public building or a car or a police officer or something like that. Yeah. And there's clearly an element of trying to outdo the, 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 the neighbouring estate right. um, and that if your estate hasn't been involved in it in any way there's a stigma attached to it so yeah absolutely there's a there's a social media copycat element in this very very clearly very strongly and what do you make of, of what i was saying earlier that some of the video footage i've seen appears to show people with kind of handmade or custom-made sort of what you might call amateur looking weapons but but guns and all sorts of things well there's certainly been guns around i mean there's there's certainly been a lot of fireworks being shot out i've been watching them from my balcony night after night um it's been like in a Bastille day, day after day. Um, they've been firing fireworks at the police, at, at buildings. They've also been making their own sort of fireworks as well. Molotov cocktails are very common. But also there are, uh, there are a lot of guns in France. Um, no one knows how many there are. Um, but there have been incidents of guns being used. There was video images the other day of a guy 
um, in the Paris suburbs, I think it was, uh, shooting a gun at a, at a, at a petrol station. Mm. I and mean, he wasn't aiming at anyone in particular. He was aiming at property, not people. But that was very alarming. Like at the end of last week um, in Marseille, uh, they got into a, a, a hunting rifle shop and stole all the hunting rifles there. There are police officers as well in Nîmes, in southern France, there was a police officer who was who was shot out and was really only saved because he had a bulletproof uh, vest on. So absolutely, that there is a, a level of, of of worrying violence, uh, including of guns here. I mean, I have to say the guns are, are not massively widespread in these riots, and certainly not the, the first weapon that's being used by the rioters. But they are present at, mm. at a low level. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, living in France, you, you know, I can tell that you're. You're somewhat weary and world, worldly wise about writing in France, but is this worse than anything you've seen, or is it kind of summer par for the course? No, no. Even for France, it's pretty surprising. And and you're right. We are. We 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 know all about riots here. We had the pension riots. So the riots over President Macron's pension were mm. formed, went on for months at the beginning of the year, um, uh, and this was actually after the pension reform he decreed a hundred days of pacification of the country well it doesn't look very pacified now no. but but yes you're quite right this this is on another another level um uh in terms of the intensity in terms of the number of attacks on property on cars on public buildings on police officers that we've been seeing over the last few days at least until last night this is higher than anything mm. i can remember um it, it, the only comparable uh, uh, would, would be in 2005, where there were riots after two teenagers died trying to escape from police. Um, I don't think that anything we witnessed then was of similar intensity in terms of the number of incidents per night. But it did go on for three weeks. So we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, President Macron is obviously crossing his fingers and, and crossing everything else <laughs> that this doesn't go on for three weeks as well, three or four weeks as well, and that it dies down over the next few days. Um, uh, it, at the moment, it's looking even more serious than 2005. And what about the, the British tourists and the warnings that they've been given? Because I think the Foreign Office have sort of said, you know, beware before you go. They're not saying don't go, but they're sort of saying, you know, just check that where you're going is going to be OK. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I, I, I think that's probably pretty sensible advice, really. Um, uh, you, you can come to Paris and you can go to other tourist resorts and, and, and quite easily escape the violence. I mean, it's, it's, it's not everywhere um, by any means. So I would certainly not say don't come to France. Uh, if you're staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or whatever in, in a suburb of Paris or, or Bordeaux or Lyon or Marseille, I'd, I'd say perhaps don't go out at night after dark uh, or at least look and see what's going on before you do. You're quite right that the, the riots are pretty breaking out pretty spontaneously. It's difficult to know exactly mm. where. But on the whole, if you're in the major tourist areas of the centre of Paris, um, uh, places on the, on, the, on the French Riviera or, or the Dordogne, I would have thought that it's still safe to come to France. Mm. Yes, I'm sure. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Adam, thank you very much indeed. Adam Sage checking in with us from Paris, the Paris correspondent for The Times, um, saying that, yeah, 
They know about riots in France. Yes, they have them pretty much all the time and certainly quite a lot in the summer. But this is a different level. Uh, we'll see whether it has calmed down only for one night, whether it picks up again tonight. But, but certainly um, all sorts of uh, accusations being thrown around, such as teenagers uh, copying video games, says Emmanuel Macron. He's talking about um, how alcohol is to blame when clearly that's not the case for certain uh, groups of people who are rioting. Um, and if you are in France, if you are listening to this, we'd love to hear from you as to what it's like in your little community, because it may well be uh, that you're OK, or it may well be that you're not. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us. We'll take some calls coming up. Also, uh, we'll talk to you some more about net zero and this ridiculous, ridiculous idea that they're going to do away with petrol and diesel cars by 2030. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Leslie says, hi, what about the Met Police who stopped officers wearing a badge in support of fellow officers who lost their lives on duty in case it upset those on the Pride March? Disgraceful, says Leslie. Well, that's right. And in fact, uh, we'll be talking about that coming a little bit later in the show. Phil says, regarding the cancellation of bank accounts when applying, now do we have to put any political affiliations or bias that we may have? This is unbelievable and must be stopped. Well, you're absolutely right. It absolutely must be stopped. We cannot have people having their bank accounts cancelled just on the whim of some banking organisation. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's talk to Gloria, who's in Gosport. Hello, Gloria. Hi. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Good. I'm fine. What can I do for you, Gloria? Right, I've got five quick points that I want to make. Okay. And I'll do it very quickly because I know time is limited. Okay. Immigration. Yes. Why are we stopping legal um, people that have been um, vetted and whatever, uh, stopping legal immigrants coming through, surely that will encourage even more illegal immigrants. Well, arrive. which legal immigrants are we stopping from coming through, though? I, I think uh, the the bit that Sunak has uh, warned to cut immigration... Well, they're talking about changing the visa programme for something, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But, but the issue that I'm saying there is why are we stopping the ones that are being checked? Yes. 
because that will actually increase the illegal yes. issues. Right. The other one was um, about doctors. Mm. Um, it, they talk about, I was listening to your friend just earlier on yes. about the second-class system, the mercy hospitals that they have in America. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm wondering whether all of these specialist doctors that are going on strike, are they actually going to strike their private practices as well and say, right, we're not seeing anybody no. during that time? <laughs> no. Right? In fact, quite the, quite the opposite. They're going to keep working in a private area while they're on strike. Yeah, that, that's, that's my uh, issue, is the fact that it's classist. The only people that they're affecting are the people who can't afford yes. private insurance. Right. right. And under our rules, that's classism. Yep, um, I agree. The other one is the water. Yes. Why are um, shareholders being given money and uh, it's down to the person who wrote the contract because in those contracts there should be a bit that says that they have to have so much money to cover the repairs and things before they pay the shareholders money. Mm. Yes. Right? And that's down to the persons who set up the contracts. The whole thing is an absolute and utter nightmare. Gloria, I'm going to have to cut you short because time is uh, of, of, of the essence. I'm sorry to do that to you. If you've missed a couple of points, do ring back and we'll get them back on for you because uh, you're absolutely right about the water companies. They have somehow been allowed to spiral out of control. Thames Water in particular is an absolute disgrace. You know, as I said last week, we made them Plank of the Week actually last week. If you haven't watched that yet, go and find it on YouTube or on the Talk uh, TV app. We made them Plank of the Week because basically water and the business of selling water to people who have no choice but to buy it from you seems to me to be an obvious way of making money. The idea that you can run a water company and lose billions and billions of pounds beggars belief. But let's talk to Susan Hall, uh, who is, of course, one of the London mayoral candidates for the Tory party. Um, she's got plenty to say, I'm sure, about Thames Water and many other things. Susan, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. How nice <laughs> to see you. Now, um, there's one less uh, candidate going forward for the Tory party, but that hasn't, I'm sure, affected your campaign. How close are we now to kind of getting the final nod? Who, you know, When do we find out who the Tory candidate officially is? Uh, we should find out on the 19th, I'm okay. hoping. So the vote's going tomorrow. So a plea to all your listeners that are Conservative members, please vote for me. I will make a brilliant mayor. Get rid of this wretched Sadiq Khan. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. Uh, and I, and I, I'm certainly endorsing your, uh, uh, your aim to become the next mayor. It's about time they had a woman in the place as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Enough of this enough of this kind of, you know, male hegemony nonsense. And then Sadiq <laughs> Khan has done enough damage to this city. I mean you might need to be in for twenty years to repair it all. No, no, we haven't Londoners don't have twenty years. Look at the messes made I mean the the Met police under special measures, he's Sadiq Khan has let Londoners down so badly. Um, we need to get in there and get it sorted out. And honestly, Mike, I really could do that. And it certainly wouldn't take that long. Right. And somebody pointed out to me today that the ULES expansion plan comes into effect, I think, fairly soon. Um, what can you do about that, if anything? Well, 29th of August it comes in. Uh, I shall be at the higher quarters. That is start, the hearing starts tomorrow. Um, please God that they find that it, it, his um, consultation was unlawful yeah. and we can get it certainly pushed back because if it's pushed back long enough, 
there is no way he'll then put it in too near to an election because mm. he knows it's a, an election loser. Of course it is. Nobody wants it in there. Right. It, it's a tax on, on hard-working Londoners. Disgraceful. It really is. I mean, it's hard enough to get around London, and if you want to come into the central part of it, if you're particularly... I, my, my sympathies particularly go to small businesses and people who need to deliver things, people who have to get into town to do their jobs, and yet they're yep. being punished at every single turn. That, that's right. And we'll, of course, all be punished because some people say to me, oh, it doesn't affect me. My car is compliant. Yeah, oh, yes, it will. Because all these builders that live outside London and haven't got compliant yeah. are not going to come into London or they're going to charge you the extra £12.50, which you can't blame them for. Mm. So just put the price of everything uh, sky high. But of course, Sadiq Khan doesn't care. He just wants to go ahead with whatever he decides, doesn't care what we think, doesn't listen to people. And all I see from, from him and the, the stuff that comes out of his office is all about, you know, clean air this and Rwanda that. But meanwhile, there are people being stabbed. There's been a lot of stabbings. Two killed up in Islington just the other day. Um, another stabbing um, in Tottenham where somebody um, was attacked for their scooter. You know, it's out of control, isn't it? It is. And Londoners need to feel safe. It is absolutely vital. It's, it's his, in my view, it's his main job. And because he's took the, his eye off the ball a long time ago, he doesn't care. He'll just go on about something uh, fresh air as it were because of his book that he's trying to sell. Yeah. He, he's got the best job in the world. He needs to roll his sleeves up and get something sorted. It should never have got into this state mm. in the first place. And are you, are you seeing any evidence, because people are always baffled outside of London as to how Sadiq Khan got re-elected, because, you know, nobody seems to have a good word to say about him. And yet, um, you know, he does keep winning elections. Is there any evidence that you can see that that kind of popularity that he has somehow is waning a bit? It's definitely waning because Londoners are beginning to wake up to the effect that Police are under special measures. The fire's under special measures. Nowhere near enough houses have been built. Traffic is gridlocked because of some of the ridiculous schemes he's put in. Driving at 20 miles an hour down the Finchley Road. All these LTNs that are putting pushing traffic into more and more traffic jams, which, by the way, isn't helping air quality. No, of course not. People are beginning to wake up to it. I would make a damn good mayor, and I hope I'm being given the chance to do so. Yes. And what do you need from people? I mean, what, what, can, what can people do uh, to vote for you? What, what's the situation? Well, uh, at the moment, it's the Conservative members. There's 25,000, I believe, in London, 1,000 in London. I'm hoping that they tick my name in the box so that I become our candidate. Then I will be asking everybody to help. We have got to get together and, and put Londoners first and get rid of Sadiq Khan. Yeah, I think um, everyone listening to this show, certainly, and watching you will totally agree with you. Well, let's keep in touch. Uh, we'll talk soon, Susan. Good luck with it all. And, uh, you know, we can only hope uh, that Susan Hall can get her way into City Hall and elbow Sadiq Khan out of the way, because enough is enough. Uh, he's been in for long enough, and he's done enough damage to this great city. Uh, and it's time now that that damage was all reversed. And I think Susan Hall would be a great bear. And why not have a woman for a change? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Lee in Hansworth says, well, the banks have finally shown their hand by stopping accounts. If you think that's bad, wait until we get a cashless society when you'll be told where, what and how you will use your money. Donate to the wrong charity, direct debit to the wrong party and you will be excommunicated, says Lee. Well, let's hope not. That's why you have to fight these things and you have to make sure that the powers that be know they can't get away with it. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV.
Coming up at uh, just after midday, we're going to be speaking to Trevor Kavanagh from The Sun. He's written a column this morning about the banking situation and why it is ridiculous and utterly mad for banks to decide that they should sort of excommunicate clients on the basis of something they might have said uh, or some belief that they might have held. Meanwhile, we'll also be asking him about Sue Gray, who has apparently been ruled that she broke the civil service code by discussing a job with Labour, to wit, Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party. This is a Cabinet Office report, right? This is a woman who was said to have the highest level of integrity of all people in the world of politics. I mean, she was literally portrayed as a saint, even by Boris Johnson, um, when she was in, uh, investigating whether he had been involved in any of the parties uh, that were listed as Partygate. Um, but she has now been ruled to have broken the civil service code, right? Now, I don't understand why Sir Keir Starmer wouldn't then just say, well, I'm sorry, now that you've been proven to have broken the ministerial code, uh, perhaps you should not be able to work for me as the chief of staff of the Labour Party, because that would be unethical, wouldn't it? A government source has told um, uh, the, uh, the, the media that basically the findings of the investigation carried out by civil servants and ministers would have resulted in serious disciplinary sanctions if Ms Gray had still been working in Whitehall. So she would have been sanctioned and she might have even been fired or suspended in some way. Uh, but instead, she's going to go off and work for Keir Starmer. Well, it doesn't tell you an awful lot, does it, about integrity and transparency in the Labour Party? I'm sure uh, all of those people who've been banging on about uh, the integrity of uh, Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson on the left will be very happy to attack, presumably, the Labour Party now. Let's see. I wouldn't hold my breath, though. Let's talk to David Spencer, Head of Crime and Justice at the Policy Exchange, former Detective Chief Inspector, of course. We've got plenty of things to talk about, including uh, Just Stop Oil and the latest from them. We've got Wimbledon getting underway today. Will they try and do what they did at Lords, uh, even though Andy Murray's asked them not to? We'll also talk about the Metropolitan Police banning police from wearing a badge commemorating the fallen because it's being seen as some kind of link to right-wing groups in America and therefore somehow uh, insulting to London Pride. David, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Good to see you. Yeah, let's start with the um, badge uh, of dishonour, as some people are calling it. I mean, it seems to me to be a pretty straightforward thing to want to wear to commemorate uh, the loss of many of your fellows who may have fallen uh, in one way, shape or form because of the violence of our society. But yet um, the wokists, it would seem, have declared it to be an unfriendly badge and something that indicates that you might be some kind of crazed right-winger. Well, it does seem a somewhat bizarre story that's come out over the last few days, as you suggest, Mike. Mm. And you know, ultimately, this is a badge, certainly I understand it to be, and a lot of those that I used to work with, um, which memorialises those that have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice yeah. as you know, serving their community and serving their country. And it seems somewhat odd that they wouldn't be allowed to uh, to wear it. And my understanding is that there are other badges which are permissible. So, the, for example, the Police uh, Memorial Day badge is permitted. The Help for Heroes badge is permitted, of course. The Poppy is permitted as well. Um, so it seems to me slightly odd uh, that uh, the choice was that this badge can't be worn. Yeah, it only really does because it's got a, what what you can clearly see is a blue line through it, which and it sort of refers itself as the thin blue line, doesn't it? Which is what the police are known for. That's right, and it seems to me that uh, the decisions and the choices uh, by the Met here over the last few days, um, you know, they they say that they were merely enforcing the rules that they've got. I, I think it it seems like if that is the case, then the rules probably need to be updated. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's the sort of decision that would appear that's been made by the police hierarchy, not because of anything other than a kind of obsession with, in their words, doing the right thing and virtue signalling and not upsetting people. I mean, and to be honest, until I'd seen this controversy, I didn't even know about this badge, really. No, and, you know, I think the reality is it's very commonly worn by police officers. In fact, I saw that the chief constable of Essex Police, who's the, the national lead for public order policing, has it on his uniform. So it seems like a very strange choice that uh, that has been made over the last few days in London. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, what's to be done? I mean, Tory MP Tim Loughton has basically said that the forces of woke are trying to discredit a symbol associated with raising money to help families of those who have fallen in the line of duty. Um, so he's sort of pretty fairly and squarely putting the uh, the blame on people like Sir Mark Rowley, who's supposed to be sorting out the police, isn't he? Yeah, and obviously Sir Mark's been there for, I think, nine or ten months now. Um, and certainly what we want to see and what Policy Exchange has been calling for uh, over the last year is real uh, change on the streets of London. We want to see the effect of his leadership uh, on the streets of London. We want to see officers on patrol and making a difference, as you said at the beginning, where we're seeing criminals and thugs on the streets committing crimes. That's yeah. the difference we need to well, see. Well, that's the problem. I mean, I was saying to Susan Hall there, who's running for mayor, that, you know, there's been some serious stabbing incidents just in the past few days, never mind in the last few weeks and months, you know, and it doesn't seem to be getting uh, any better. And the police say that they're trying to put more officers on the street. But are they doing that? Well, I think that's the key. We've seen, obviously, um, a lot of recruitment of police officers nationally over the last uh, three years. Um, what we need to be seeing is those officers on the front line making a difference and uh, really you know, getting getting into communities and, and seeing these criminals and these thugs arrested, put before the courts and, you know, after trial, if they're found guilty, sent to prison. Yeah, Suella Braverman supposedly is going to look into the um, thin blue line badge scenario, but but maybe be better off looking into the conduct, generally speaking, of the police, because it seems as though they were quite quick yesterday to arrest the Just Stop Oil um, protesters at the Pride March, much quicker than they would normally arrest people who were walking in, in front of a line of traffic. Well, one of the things that Policy Exchange uh, we've been calling for, again, for the last year and beyond, is um, is rapid police response to the protests. And one of the things that we have seen in recent months is a real step change, um, whether it's at the Pride March or actually just on our roads in London, is police officers much more rapidly mm. uh, getting to grips with these protesters. And that is a good thing because ultimately these people are criminal disruptors. Um, and we've seen some changes in the law which has made this easier for the police. There are other pieces of work that need to be done, so not to be too technical, but there's the Ziegler Amendment or the Ziegler Case Law, um, which we need to see overturned. What, is, what does that do? So this is uh, it's quite a technical piece of uh, case law, mm. but essentially it means that uh, if you block a road as part of a protest, you can claim that there is a reasonable excuse um, as part of your protest, if that's what you're doing. And that really can be very, very difficult for the police then to um, take action. Yeah. Um, what we need to see is the government dealing with that Ziegler case law very specifically. And I think that would really untie the hands of the police in dealing with this. Right. And do you think that they're going to try and disrupt Wimbledon? I mean, it's not so easy to disrupt Wimbledon as perhaps it was to disrupt Lords, but they do seem to be able to get access to tickets for all sorts of things because they've got plenty of money. I think it's a very real risk and the police will be will be alive to it. And there is, of course, even before 
this year a very significant policing operation goes into Wimbledon uh, if you've been lucky enough to get tickets and get down there you will see police officers patrolling the grounds patrolling outside and of course the the stewards as as you see on uh, on your screen now mm. there is a very significant policing operation and i have no doubt that the met will be very alive to the potential for disruption uh, and hopefully we'll see a robust response if that is what happens yes well let's hope so david thank you very much indeed david spencer the head of crime and justice at the policy exchange former Detective Chief Inspector, of course. Don't forget, if you love talk radio, why not join the debate today if you haven't done it? To link uh, your Alexa and talk radio accounts, just say Alexa. Ask News Broadcasting to log me in and we'll send a link to your Alexa app. You only need to do it once and you'll be able to continue listening to all of your favourite presenters, including me. Uh, Julie Hartley Brewer, of course, Ian Collins, Vanessa Feltz, from the morning, uh, Mike Graham and Kevin O'Sullivan. That's me as well. Uh, every morning, 9.30, we are here, uh, just ahead of the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Uh, we did it this morning for the first time, tearing through the, the newspapers, telling you what the big stories are. And we're still about to reach some of those stories because coming up next, Trevor Kavanaugh is going to join us. He's going to talk to us about Sue Gray. Now, she has been found uh, to have basically broken the code that she was supposed to be adhering to, the Civil Service Code. Uh, there's an investigation out there uh, by the Cabinet Office. Um, they've said that if she was still a civil servant, she would have to face some pretty serious ramifications as a result of their findings. But now that she's no longer a civil servant, she won't have to. Why? Because she's gone to work for Keir Starmer at the Labour Party, a man who's constantly holding himself up uh, as the cleanest man in politics. You know, I used to be the director of public prosecutions. I know about the law. Oh, really? Well, ethically speaking, how do you feel now, Sir Keir? Because Sue Gray has broken her own rules. Shouldn't she surely now not be acceptable uh, as a chief of staff of the Labour Party? We'll find out next. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up very shortly, we're going to talk to Catherine Burble singh uh, headmistress of the McKellar Community Free School. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham podcast so you never miss a moment from the show. Subscribe and download it now from wherever you get your podcasts. But before we talk to Catherine, um, a woman I'm very much looking forward to talking to, uh, let us do a bit of this. The World of Woke. Now, I'm not joking when I say that this particular story will shock you to the very core because everybody knows that it's a difficult time uh, when a loved one dies and you have to think about funeral arrangements, right? Should it be um, a cremation? Uh, perhaps they've left news in their will that they would like you to bury them on the top of Mount Everest or perhaps scatter their ashes somewhere in a Scottish lake or loch even. But there's a new plan afoot. Um, and it was used for the last rites of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, apparently, in South Africa, who died last year. And if you want to make a lower carbon footprint than gas-fired cremation, this is for you, right? So this is the woke way of disappearing off to the next world, OK? And what it is, is that you basically have your body dissolved in a bag in 160 degrees centigrade water, treated with an alkali, it's going to become available in the UK later this year um, and it will be the first new legal method of disposing of cadavers since the Cremation Act of 1902. It's being described as a boil-in-the-bag funeral. Now, I don't know if that's going to be uh, an Uncle Ben's thing or what, but you know what? I find this incredibly weird and actually quite woke and odd because it's all about the environment. It's all about saving the environment. 
But here's the worst part. Advocates have described it as kinder and gentler for the planet. But what they do is they basically put your body into a big bag full of water and the body presumably decomposes in that bag. I don't know where the bag goes while that happens. But one of the water companies in this country, Northumbrian Water in particular, has basically said that they will accept that the water can then be poured back into the drainage network as trade effluent, which means that basically once they've decomposed your body in the water, it can go back into the system. That doesn't seem right to me. Does it seem right to you? And what do you have as a kind of, uh, you know, memento? People who have their ashes scattered or people who are cremated, normally they put the ashes in an urn of one kind or another, which you can either keep on your mantelpiece or you do something with. What do you have with this? Do you have like a, I don't know, a fish tank? Do you have a, you know, a, a, one of those bottles of water, those permanent bottles or a flask to keep some of the water in? I don't know. It sounds a bit weird. Anyway, I don't think I'll be doing it. I don't fancy boiling a bag funerals. Do you? That's the world of woke. The world of woke. Now, there's been a row going on, um, largely on social media, but probably in other parts of, uh, of reality as well. Catherine Burble Singh, uh, a lady of this parish, we've spoken to her many times, headmistress of the McKellar Community Free School, one of the best schools in Britain, constantly under attack these days because she's considered to be, in quotes, right wing. Um, and she suffered uh, particularly badly recently after a, uh, um, a, a tweet that she put out uh, when Tina Turner died. I'll let her explain it to you. But basically, she's asking for Labour MP Jess Phillips to basically apologise to her uh, for accusing her of things that she hasn't done. Catherine, um, very good afternoon to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, is it easy? I mean, it's a complicated story, this, but it's not that complicated. Do you want to just give us a quick run through of what happened? Yeah. Um, well, Tina Turner sadly died, and a friend sent me a GIF, which I then tweeted out. It had several photos of Tina, different iconic photos. Uh, for whatever reason, the GIF didn't work, and it rested on one photo, which was a photo of uh, Tina with Ike Turner. Mm. And I had put good times at the top, which, of course, would be a bit odd, given that her husband was abusive, and everybody knows this. Right. Really, any sensible person looked at this and thought, oh, that's a bit of a mistake. Uh, Jess Phillips, however, and she wasn't the only one who uh, was horrible, but she she is an MP after all, and we have higher expectations of our MPs. She tweeted four times to her 630,000 followers saying that um, I was a supporter of domestic violence, which clearly, imagine if I really were a, yes. a, a domestic violence would i really use uh tina turner's death as my opportunity to announce to the world that that is what i think mm. obviously not right. um and even when i said that i wasn't clearly a, a supporter of domestic violence she uh she said sure she was very sarcastic about it it was just she she did not do what MPs should do and frankly I don't understand. I don't know Jess Phillips. My school is not in her constituency. Um, I, I have nothing to do with her. And yet mm. she decided to just pick on me for no reason. Uh, a million people saw that first tweet of hers. Um, and, and she also called into question safeguarding at my school, yeah. saying that uh, I was a safeguarding risk, essentially, to kids. And so was our school. And, and, and so people then got worried. Oh, you know, what about the poor children at, at, at Michaela? Yeah. She's never engaged with a single argument I've ever made. All she did was attack me. If she genuinely thought there was a, a, a worry about safeguarding at my school, she could have contacted the governor. She could have written in onto the website. 
But instead, she sent out these four tweets to her 630,000 followers uh, in order to create, uh, you know, a, a mob attack mm. on me and um, and to just be horrible. Yeah. And why, why be horrible to me? I don't even know her. I don't have anything to do with her. And my reasoning is that this deep um, kind of anger that she feels with me, she kept quoting um, a speech I had given at this NatCon National Conservatism yeah. Conference uh, a week before. She kept quoting bits of it, uh, not engaging with any of my arguments, mind you, just just harassing me with it. Mm. Um, and I think that that's because I'm black. And yeah. I think that because I'm black, I'm not allowed to have conservative views. And this is quite common. I come across it often. And I think one of the reasons why, because this is bigger than just Jess Phillips, and actually you say I'm asking for an apology, I'm not really asking for anything, and I don't want anything done to Jess Phillips either, you know, I'm just, I'm highlighting this as a real problem in our society, where ethnic minorities are essentially owned by the left. Yeah. That um, we are not allowed to have a variety of views uh, politically, and that the idea of us being conservative, me attending and speaking at this national conservatism conference, is 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 outrageous. Mm. A number of people said to me, "But how could you go to this conference? This is outrageous that I went to this conference." And I think the reason why they think that is because I'm black, yeah. because black people aren't meant to be on the right, and it's not even. You know, but my views are mixed. But you're I, not particularly on the right anyway. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't pretend I mean, to know you, but you've sat here opposite me in the studio. You're uh, what I strikes me as a very competent, uh, very commonsensical individual, which is why we do what we do here. Not every view that we have is right wing. Not every view that we have is in one particular political direction. You run a very yes. successful school. You're a highly trained and, and qualified individual. You know, frankly, I don't know what Jess Phillips is, is, is trained in, but I take it that she hasn't yet taken any of these tweets down or apologised really? Well, what I'd really love is for Jess Phillips to come and visit our school. That's one thing I would say, is yeah. that he and other members of the Labour Party are very welcome to come and visit us here at Michaela and see the good work that we are doing with children in the inner city from deprived backgrounds, enabling them to, to, to change their stars and, and have a, a bite at the apple, you know? That's what we're about. Mm. And I, I don't know why it is that she's attacking me when she doesn't know me and, and just t attacking me as opposed to engage. She disagrees with something I've said. By all means, let's have a debate. Yes. Um, I met with Diane Abbott a year ago for dinner and she and I don't agree on much, but she was never rude to me. She right. wasn't encouraging her 600,000 followers to attack me and bringing safeguarding into question in my school. It really is... Um, it, it, it's deeply worrying if our MPs behave in this way. Yes. They have a duty to demonstrate to the rest of us what 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 decent behaviour is like. Yeah. And not just pick on individuals because mm. you don't like the way they, the, the things that they think. And in particular, as I say, where does this 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 deep seated anger come from? I think it has to do with my race. Yes. Now, not everybody will agree with me. And one of the issues with this idea that ethnic minorities uh, have to voice uh, leftist views is that the left don't really want to talk about that because essentially I'm accusing the left of, of uh, unconscious bias here. And, you know, unconscious racist bias. I don't want to say that it's racism because this isn't anyone being rabidly racist. This is unconscious bias. And, um, and it's also the case that often people on the right don't necessarily want to recognize unconscious bias. So that means no one on the right and no one on the left ever talks about mm. these issues. And that's why people think, how can I be saying such a thing? But it is very much the case. And you see it, frankly, with other women who are uh, brown or black skinned, mm. who 
are well i was going to mention i was going to say to you pretty patel knows what you're talking about so does suella braverman two women who happen to have brown skin who happen to think that we should be tough on immigration in this country who the left cannot possibly understand because they look at them and go but 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 you're from another country essentially it's more racist actually than anybody on the right would ever be Exactly. And of course, you can disagree with them and you can make the arguments. But my key issue with Jess Phillips is she never disagreed with me. She never argued with anything I've ever said. She just attacked who I am and brought my reputation into disrepute, brought my school into disrepute by questioning our, our, our safeguarding, suggesting that I'm supportive of domestic violence, which is just an absurd suggestion. It was wrong. And I just want to highlight this because I don't think she should do it again. Yes. And I would very much like to invite her to come visit my school. And you've also posted an open letter to Keir Starmer asking if he would make at least a comment about it. Has he said anything? No, but it hasn't been much time. So I, I understand that. That <laughs> I understand. But I want to draw his attention. I know that uh, there have been uh, some black uh, Labour MPs who have complained about racism within the party. I don't know specifics to what they are saying. Um, I'm, I'm just drawing attention to what I believe is unconscious race, racist bias here. It's not that she's racist in the old-fashioned sense. It's more that she looks at a black person and thinks, well, they, she feels a sense of betrayal. Yes. Uh, there's we have betrayed her by not thinking in a leftist manner. And um, I, I, that isn't right. We should all be free to be able to think as we want and to say the things that we feel are right. And then we should all be free to be able to debate them. And I'd happily debate her if that's what she'd like uh, about what works in schools, about, you know, uh, the, the success that we're having here at Michaela. I would have thought that the success that we have here at Michaela with all these ethnic minority uh, inner city kids should be exactly the kind of thing uh, the Labour Party should be celebrating and supporting and be really thrilled about, mm. which is why, again, I extend my invitation to any Labour MP that might like to come and visit us. And also, you've seen and, and, and you've made it clear that there are other organisations like the BBC, other sort of um, left-wing um, people who have piled in on her side uh, as if you should never have gone to that place to make a speech on the basis yes. that there might have been people there that you disagree with. Well, you know, I'm sure there are people at Labour Party conference um, that say things that not everybody in the Labour Party agrees with. It's supposed to be a broad church. They're supposed to be exactly. grown-ups, but they don't seem to be able to act like grown-ups. Well, indeed. And you know what? The National Conservative Conference, I, I met some people who I would consider very much to be on the left. I met some floating vote voters. There were a variety of people there, mm. all just sharing ideas and having interesting discussions. I don't know why why we can't have interesting discussions, why we want to ban me from talking at various conferences. I, I, th that's not right. It's not right. I, I, I'm black and I'm British and I um, have some conservative views. I have some more centrist views and I even have some more left-wing views. But um, the fact is that it's okay for me to lean more towards the conservative side, which overall I do. I'm, I'm a small C conservative. I describe myself as that. I have small C conservative values, uh, such as believing in personal responsibility, believing in a sense of duty towards the community, uh, having a sense of self-sacrifice. Uh, I believe in those old small C conservative values that most of our grandfathers and grandmothers would have taken for granted. And that is very much what our school is all about. Mm. It used to be the case, of course, that the left very much embraced those small C conservative values. But more and more, it is the case now, I suppose, with the younger left, that they are, are more rejecting of those values, which I think is a shame. My own father is very much a man of the left. 
but very much also a small C conservative. Yes, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we have constantly get guests on this show um, who are from ethnic minorities who say, you know, it's ludicrous to assume that, that all ethnic minorities vote the same way, believe in the same things. It so happens that an awful lot of uh, people from the Indian subcontinent are quite conservative in their values socially, and why wouldn't they be, therefore, conservative voters? You know, the whole thing is an absolute nonsense. Um, but listen, I really appreciate your time, Catherine. I know you're a busy woman. Thank you so much. Hopefully it can be resolved. Uh, we're trying to get hold of Keir Starmer to talk about Sue Gray. Maybe we'll ask him about this as well. Uh, if we can get him to do so. Uh, Catherine Burble Singh, headmistress of the McKellar Community Free School, making a perfectly clear case uh, for why Jess Phillips is in the wrong and why she should go and visit uh, the McKellar School to see what actually really good schools are like. What would be wrong with that? Instead, it's a Twitter spat which has got out of control to some extent. Uh, Ian Collins is coming up very soon. Uh, we'll be hearing from more of your calls, of course, as well. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.